morning, good afternoon, or good evening. I'm your host, Marcus Gillis, and we are recording live from Banjo, Colorado. Population growing. Welcome to episode three of the Live from Banjo podcast. And uh, thanks again to all that listened last week. A lot of you who listened last week went back and listened to Andy's episode. So thanks for returning and thanks to all the new folks as well. I really appreciate all the DMs, emails, etc. I do read them all, so please keep sending them. I love the input, good and bad. This week, our guest is not known for her musical talent, but she is very well known in the world of rock climbing and is definitely inspirational, which is what this show is all about. Our guest today is rock climber and photographer Mary Catherine Eden. She is known to her nearly 100,000 followers on Instagram as Trad Princess. She is an amazing climber, photographer, painter, guide, and instructor. You can find more about her photography and clinics at bigbeautypitches.com. The link is in the episode bio. Beauty as in Beauty in the Beast and Pitches with a P as in Possum also rhymes with the plural form of an alternative name for female dogs. I hope you enjoy our conversation as we navigate through her early life training endurance horses, her life in climbing, surviving the fire that took her childhood home but not the goat, and being thick-skinned metaphorically but thin-skinned physically, and her attempt to always follow the stoke. Thank you so much for everyone that is listening. Please tell your friends, family, and complete strangers about the show. And please follow or subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you would like to be a sponsor, please contact me at livefrombanjo.com, email me at marcus at livefrombanjo.com, or DM me on social media at the Live From Banjo podcast. So it turns out people enjoyed my wife, Crystal, joining me after the interview to follow up on topics discussed during last week's interview. So by popular demand, she is back to sit in with me after the interview to discuss climbing styles and grading, fire statistics, goat zoning, and some additional follow-up and fact-checking on Mary's interview. Mary actually was in quarantine with COVID-19 when this episode was recorded, and she started off a little low but quickly rallied, and I laugh more during the recording of this than I have in a long time. Please continue to email me at marcus at livefrombanjo.com and tell me what you like, what you don't, and what you want more of. And I enjoy structure and repeating myself, so again, I'm all ears except for finding a new host. That's a deal breaker because I just enjoy this too effing much. Shutting up now. Please enjoy my conversation with Miss Mary Catherine Eden. Hi, Mary. How are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you doing? I'm good. And you're quarantining right now? Yes, I am. So my roommate, she works for the hospital here and uh, contracted COVID-19. And uh, her boyfriend got it too. And they both live here. So I came home to that and I got exposed. So I just went into quarantine with them. And I, and I also got covid too. You do now. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah. Oh, how, yeah. Are, how are you feeling? Pretty good. I'm pretty lucky. I think. Um, yeah. I was pretty worried about getting it because uh, you know I have asthma and some pre-existing conditions. So I was like, oh, if I get it, I'm going to be really sick. But I just got some sniffles and some kind of lethargic. Uh, but yeah, you good. Well, I'm glad to hear that. Not contagious through the the screen. I should put on a mask. Is what you're I should put on. <laughs> so I definitely have to sanitize that when we get it back. Yes, you really should. 
good. It's already part of the practice. So we're, we're okay. Are you working as a guide out in Flagstaff? Um, no, I'm going back to school. Oh, you're back at school. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. What are you studying? Marketing. Yeah. I, I moved back, uh, to flag to, uh, do this. I still teach clinics and some trips up in Moab, you know, when I'm not COVID positive. Right. <laughs> Tyler, who is one of your child friends or best friends and boyfriend in high school lives out in Flagstaff, right? I don't remember when I told you that story, but well, I actually met Tyler. <laughs> what? Oh yeah. Is, <laughs> is that how you came to move out there? Um, yeah, it was, it was a big reason why I decided to go to Flagstaff. And so Tyler and is it Anoke? Anaki. Anaki. Yeah. Um, they got married last year. They got married in the spring. They, uh, they eloped at the courthouse during uh, the initial pandemic. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it was, it was beautiful. It was just um, them and Tyler's brother and myself. It was really cute. Very nice. Yeah. And then I know that another reason you moved out to um, Flagstaff was for the, uh, the climbing gym. Yes. Oh, that's, that's what I've heard. <laughs> How is the climbing gym now that the pandemic is, uh, is in place? Um, you know, is it open? I haven't been, <laughs> <laughs> I haven't been since, since you moved to Flagstaff or since the pandemic. I haven't really been much at all. I have, I have a membership that I pay for, but I don't really go. And it's just, uh, I didn't want to go really before clinics cause I didn't want to get COVID. And then I finished leading the clinics in Moab and uh, came home and got infected with COVID. So I haven't really been. Right. So you just finished with clinics then? Yeah. Yeah. November 23rd. How was that session? It was really good. Um, We did an off with clinic, which was, I always knew would be a really bad idea. And I was right. Yeah. Yeah. It was was painful for everyone. (laughs) A lot of blood. A lot of blood. One person had no fingertips left. Did anybody reach my level of bloodiness? No, you were just the bloodiest human I've ever seen. I don't know how it happened, honestly. Do you still have scars? Oh my god, so bad. Like here, here, this everything scarred. Like I got back, and people were just disgusted by being in my presence. The the funniest thing that happened was I had all these these injuries down my arm and I went to work one day and I went into the little break room and I pulled up my shirt. I had a long sleeve shirt on trying to cover it up and I realized that my my um bandages had fused with the uh, blood and so I tried to remove them and in doing so I opened up all of the wounds at one time and there was blood everywhere. It was on the counters. It it literally looked like some kind of crime scene. And so I'm trying to clean up the blood. And so I'm like swashing it around the floor. And as soon as I'm cleaning up and I'm so embarrassed because I've just got blood all in the break room and I'm, I'm trying to get on the floor and I'm just bleeding more into the cleaning. But I, uh, I still have scars. So I'm not laughing at you. Sure. I'm laughing and, with you. And I would, I would, I would do both. <laughs> the amount. And I, I remember sitting down and trying to bandage you. <laughs> so you can keep climbing. I was like, is this ethical? 
to allow him to keep climbing. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, well, I'm glad you did. I needed it. Should I enable this? Or should I just like get a huge can of new skin and just like... <laughs> I had so much new skin. And then, yeah, I ended up going super glue, new skin. It was, it, it took a while to heal. I'll be honest. I have better beta now. I'm a big fan of rhino skin for really okay. bad gobies. Good to know. Not that that benefits you now at all, but... <laughs> well, it does. I still climb. I still bleed. I mean, I am a bleeder. We took a climbing trip to multiple areas <laughs> during COVID, but it was... <clears throat> Now you gave it to me. I've already got it. I can feel it in my throat. In August, my wife and I went on a climbing trip and I took a fall out in Tinsley, Wyoming. And uh, I just <laughs> split my hand wide open and it wasn't the worst fall in the world. I just bleed. I have the thinnest skin. <laughs> I'm a bleeder. I, I bleed a lot too. I think, I think, do you have fair skin? Ina? No, no, I actually no. have kind of olive, olivey dark skin. Well, I, have, I, have no, I have no answer for this then. Yeah, I don't either. <laughs> I am like heavily, you know, Northern European, Irish, English. So, you know, oh, I'm gonna I've heard that fair skin, like Irish descent people bleed a lot. I bleed a lot. That's what I've heard. I don't know where the dark skin came from. 23andMe says that I'm 98% Northern European and 2% African. So maybe that that 2%, you know, got me out of the uh, Irish skin color. I don't know. The freckles? Yeah. I've got a little bit of freckles, though. So speaking <laughs> of uh, Irish descent, you grew up in Kentucky? Yes, I did. Yeah. And you were closer to the Frankfurt-Lexington side? Um, Yeah, more close to Lexington. Although, do you know where Lake Cumberland is? Yeah. Because that's, that's where I'm from. Oh, okay. The Somerset, Bronston area. Kathy Eden's your mother? Yeah, Catherine. And dad is? John. John. And they've been together for 40 years? Yes, they have. Isn't that insane? That That is insane. Yeah, they got married when he was 18 and she was 17. Yeah. I talked, I talked to my wife about, you know, being married for extended period of time. And uh, she said the only reason she decided to marry me was because uh, she knew that my shelf life was so much shorter than hers <laughs> that she could uh, she could have a separate life after. <laughs> she wouldn't have to put in the 40 years. <laughs> so they had a, a home burned down a couple of years back. And when you were at home, and that sort of led to a Lemony Snicket's kind of series of events. Can you tell me about that experience and how they're doing now? You know, it's so interesting. You know, I don't know if this is a, as a good thing or what. I don't know if my life is so complicated that it's hard for me to recall exactly. <laughs> you just have a terrible fucking memory like me. And that's, and that's okay. Like some of us just were not blessed. If it is not some kind of random fact that is completely unnecessary to know. Gone. 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 Especially if it's sad. Um, That's why I'm great in school. Yeah. Like personal life, I can, can forget shit for days. Yeah. But dumb random facts is what I'm filled with. So I'll, I'll restart. Yeah. Feel free to start in over. In 2015, I was living in Louisiana, Baton Rouge, Louisiana with my fiance. And I wasn't living there for very long. Only a couple of months. But I had moved there temporarily because he was finishing up his engineering degree. And there's no rock climbing in Louisiana. And I dearly missed living in Moab. <laughs> and I really wanted to go back where I considered home. So, you know, to appease me, we would take climbing trips. 
whenever we could. And we took a climbing trip up to Tennessee Wall in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Really awesome climbing, by the way. And we were there um, for his like winter break. And the plan was to go there and to pop up to my parents' house in Kentucky, which was about four hours away, and visit them for Christmas and then go back to climbing because I don't sit still well in the family settings. So we wanted to go climbing as much as possible. Sure. Right. Um, We were at Tennessee Wall. We climbed all day. We went and got dinner and it was a really lovely day. And I get a phone call um, from my mother, my youngest niece, who I helped raise for a lot of years, had a really bad mall seizure. One of my sister and her family were on the way up to uh, New York to visit her, her in-laws. And Isabella had a, a mall seizure um, around Cleveland. They were driving up that way. And she was in the hospital up there. And so my mother was going to go to the hospital the next day. And I was very concerned. So we packed up our tent at uh, T-Wall and uh, drove up late at night to get up to my family's home so we could all go up to Cleveland Hospital together and visit Isabella. So we get in super late because we had already been climbing that day. We had dinner and then we had to pack up camp, drive like the four-ish hours. So we got in pretty late. I woke up before Mark did and went out to visit with my parents and we were, you know, going to pack the car and I let Mark sleep. I didn't need him to help get the car ready. Figured, you know, he drove late. I can kind of take over from here. So um, my mother, you know, she's like, do you smell that? And I'm like... Smell what? I have the worst sense of smell. That's why I don't mind my dirtbag climber friends. I, I can't smell them. I, I, I fall into that category of not being able to smell either. <laughs> yeah, I don't smell. <laughs> it's really funny. So I was like, I don't smell anything. I don't know what you're talking about. And she's like, I swear I smell something. And I'm like, eh. you know, and I continue to get stuff ready. And my dad doesn't smell either. <laughs> so my father and I are completely oblivious and my mother she comes running back into the kitchen where we were making coffee and, and all that breakfast and all that and she goes the roof is on fucking fire <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm sure that's what everybody did at the time too just broke into <laughs> joyful laughter <laughs> Well, it's just amazing how oblivious my father and I are, you know? (laughs) 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 And my mother runs in and she's just like, the roof is on fucking fire. And like, I looked up, you know, like I would imagine seeing it, but no, you can't, you can't see it. Couldn't see it. And so I ran outside really quick and my father did too. And sure shit, the roof was on fucking fire. (laughs) It was all smoking. which is really interesting that the inside was fine still. So yeah, it was interesting. And I run to go wake Mark up and my parents, they immediately called 911, but we lived in the middle. I grew up in the middle of the boonies. The fire department's a good 45 minutes away. Right. You know, they call, you know, the fire department and they basically start removing items from the house. They've lived there for over 30 years, you know start trying to remove stuff like photo albums and important papers and, you know, 
stuff. And I run to go get Mark, who is asleep in my bedroom on the other end of the house. And I open my old bedroom door, my childhood bedroom. And that room is completely filled with smoke. That end of the house was going up. Right. And I like wake Mark up, but I'm like, oh my goodness. He comes to meet my family the first time. Yes, not under great circumstances to begin with, right? With my niece. But even worse, he might have freaking died. (laughs) (laughs) Like of smoke, smoke inhalation. And uh, obviously his sense of smell is also lacking. (laughs) He's totally, Mark slept like the dead. (laughs) So I like wake him up and I'm like, dude, the house is on fucking fire. Like, look around. (laughs) You're in a smoky room. He shoots up and we immediately start helping get stuff out of the house. And uh, it's all chaotic. And it was actually comedic too, because... This sounds so Kentucky if I include this bit in the story. I love Kentucky. <laughs> Go full Kentucky. Otherwise there was, it doesn't work. There was this goat. <laughs> I'd like to know more at some point, but maybe just the fact that there was a goat. So we're going to pause on the house burning down and I'm going to go back in time to why there was a goat. <laughs> This story is kind of like Inception. I know. <laughs> I'm, not really, I'm not really sure where it all began. Okay, so now we're, in, we're at the goat. So there is this goat. My mother, I guess she went to the pound to get a, a dog, a new family farm dog, because the other one passed away of old age. It was really sad. And her eyesight wasn't very good. <laughs> <laughs> and she went to the pound to go get a new, new nice farm dog. And she, I guess, saw this goat that had gotten brought to... Um, the pound and they were going to euthanize it because nobody wanted the gosh darn thing and that uh, she felt really bad for the goat and adopted the goat instead of the new dog so she brought this goat home and it was a baby and she bottle fed it and she took care of it and she loved that goat and she would bring it inside to bottle feed it but then put it back in its nice little cute pen that she made dad build for it Right. So this goat was like a whole ordeal, just a folly. But the goat never forgot that inside of the house was nurturing, nice milk. It had emotional attachment, I guess, to inside the house. So as soon as we had the front door open, the goat escaped from its little pen and it would run inside the burning down house because that's where it really wanted to be. (laughs) (laughs) It was now an adult longing for its childhood, I guess. And so... You know, I would be gathering old paintings and stuff like that and run out of the house. And I'd look to the side, the corner of my eye, and I'd see Mark wrestling this like full ass grown adult goat (laughs) and dragging it out of the burning house and then throwing it out the front door and then running back inside to grab whatever. Right. Like you'd be surprised what people will accumulate in 30 years. And then he would run back inside, get stuff. And then I'd see my dad wrestling the goat because the goat would just turn around and run right back inside the house. <laughs> so my dad would wrestle the goat, drag it outside of the house, throw it outside of the house, and then it would be my turn to fucking wrestle the stupid goat. And so in the midst of like running back and forth, you know, to grab my parents' things, we would each in turn wrestle the goat. And, uh, you know, finally at, at a certain point, um, we had to stop going back in because it just got too dangerous. So we shut the 
front door and made sure the goat wasn't inside. Okay, I was I was so worried about how that story was going to end with the goat. I, I think I started to like sweat. My mouth started to dry up. I was like, the goat's the goat the goat's fucking going in the house, isn't he? Oh my god, cliffhanger. Oh yeah. So you know us and the stupid goat standing outside just watching you know this old house burn. It was very sad. It was also Christmas morning. <laughs> It was very sad. So we're just like sitting there watching it burn and then the, the fire trucks get there and they did what they could, but it was, it was gone um, by the time they got there. But the goat was fine. You know, every, everybody else was fine. Everything that mattered was fine. That's true. Everything else is just belongings. Yeah. As being a nomad for most of my life and just moving from place to place, I've, I've found that just dropping shit off as you go is, is, is sometimes cleansing. How are your parents doing now? Have they been able to rebuild? Yeah, it was a. It was an old house. They didn't have fire insurance because they heated their home with a wood stove and wood stove homes in Kentucky that are like a certain age. It was like over a grand a month to insure it, so they didn't. Yeah. So they had to just rebuild from scratch. They took the shed my dad was building and instead stopped building it as if it was a shed and turned it into a tiny home. And actually, their their home is pretty cute now. They totally rebuilt. People are pretty resilient, right? Pretty amazing. Yeah. And then you uh, mentioned that your your youngest niece had had a, a grand mal seizure or a mal seizure. Mm-hmm. How is she doing? She's okay. Uh, she's epileptic, so she has those occasionally. And then is she the one that also, is she blind? Yes. Same one. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Kentucky. Uh, what age <laughs> did you get into horses? Um, I grew up with them. Yeah. Your family owned horses? Yeah. And you trained in, you trained endurance horses? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what does that entail and how long are these endurance horse rides? Um, it entails a really good time. <laughs> yeah. Um, so basically they're just long distance runs or trots or just a lot of ground covered. Like a limited distance ride would be uh, 30 miles. You know, and you can get 50, 100, 150, 200, you know, so you can just go into, you know, even multiple days. Right. It's not like about speed. It's about efficiency and the horse's health. And you do vet checks every so often. That's awesome. I, uh, I volunteer at a horse stable, just like cleaning and mucking stalls it's called right step. And they do like healing horses. So like people with disabilities is like mm. a therapeutic thing. Yeah. I just love horses. They're pretty cool. That's where my retirement plan when I finished rock climbing. Is going back to horses? Just going back to be a crazy horse lady. It's... You still have a cat? Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. Bima. So you're going to be a crazy horse and cat lady. I mean, like you can't have one without the other. Oh, I thought you had to have dogs. <laughs> I guess horses don't like dogs as <laughs> well, much. Actually, huh? it's just all of them. I'm oh, going to get a goat them. too. Well, Crystal has been already trying to talk me into getting a goat. And I was like, I don't even know in our zoning if we're allowed to have a goat, but she wants to get a a goat. And every time we pass goat, she's like, look at them. They're so cute. We should get a goat to go with Walter. So we have a dog, but we don't have a goat yet. Well, if your house burns down, you just, just account for wrestling the goat. Okay. A closable (laughs) pen or something. I don't know. You, you mentioned your, your sister's kids and. You started raising them at some point, is that correct? Or, or helping? 
Yeah. And when I was in high school until I was about 21. Your one niece that had the mall seizures was also blind. Did you learn Braille? No. So the tricky thing with Isabella is she had her first major seizure when she was two months old. And physically, she's perfect. But her first seizure caused a lot of brain damage because there was like an oxygen deprivation that happened. And uh, basically, the way it was explained to us is she sees perfectly fine, but she's in practice blind because her brain doesn't process the images that her eyes take in. Yeah. Yeah. It's really complicated. It took so many years to try to figure out what she could actually see if she could see because sometimes she could see sometimes she couldn't yeah. it was very strange and she's also you know isabel is special you know she's 12 now it's more like she's like four okay yeah i, yeah. I had a friend in the end of high school and early college that fell asleep in a recliner one day mm-hmm. and his mom happened to be a nurse and um he fell asleep and she heard him kind of not breathing correctly. Yeah. And so she started performing CPR until the ambulance got there. And then he went into the hospital, was in a coma, and then he came back out. And it was like, it was as if um, he was, you know, maybe a couple of months old. You know, he would just kind of like open up and look at you and smile. But, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't my friend anymore. That's really sad. I'm sorry. It was. It was, it was a trying time in my life. Eventually, you moved to Moab. Yeah. And what brought you to Moab? I ended up moving to Moab um, to bring my three nieces to their mother who was living in Moab. So after I graduated high school, Tyler and I got in my shitty old Suzuki and put the three girls in the back seat. <laughs> so it was Isabella, Katrina, and Allison, Tyler, and myself. And Tyler and myself were, were fucking idiots. So we had these three kids <laughs> and we're driving from Kentucky to Utah. And I had never really heard of Moab before. I had no idea what was in store for me. I was just going to be there for the summer to help transition the girls being with their mother full time. Because I'd had them for a, a bit of time in high school. So it was pretty fun and adventurous, you know, showing up in Moab and, uh, new place and looking around and you could just see the rim in Moab and be like, whoa, that's stuff. And also Tyler and I like took the girls on some hikes and got into some got into some shenanigans. And uh while I was in Moab, I was convinced that, you know, a summer wasn't enough to help with the girls. And so two months turned into six months and then I was there for a couple years and uh I did a brief stint away in Grand Canyon and Flagstaff, but I quickly moved back to Moab. I did a brief stint in Baton Rouge, a.k.a. I lasted three and a half months. So I don't even know if I can count it. You can count it. I can count it. I feel like that was more of like an extended work vacation. Right. (laughs) Before I got the hell out of there, went back to Moab. So you... We're in Moab for how long before you started climbing in 2011 then? I think I was there for probably four or five months before I started rock climbing. I didn't really know that rock climbing was a thing. Um, it wasn't It wasn't in the culture um, where I grew up. Even though I, was, I grew up so close to the Red River Gorge, it just wasn't in the culture. Um, and I was in the, like, the outdoor 
community. Like we would go kayaking, we we'd take horses on endurance rides, we'd go backpacking and and things like that. But climbing wasn't a thing. Um, I thought rock climbing was like Everest, like mountain climbing. Didn't yeah. realize that rock climbing you could happen, you know, on small boulders. It's very um, small rock climbing. So it was, it was really cool um, coming to Moab and uh, and uh, discovering what climbing was. I remember my first taste of it was pretty much like Wall Street yeah. on Highway Two Seven Nine. That was that was my second. My first was um, ice cream parlor. Oh really? Yeah, that's a good place. I think that was maybe my third place. Not a ton of sport climbing out there. No, have you seen me sport climb? It's pretty laughable. I haven't. So when you first started climbing, do you remember what you, what you loved about climbing or what, what drew you into it in the beginning? Honestly, I didn't really feel like rock climbing was anything special. I mean, it was, I thought it was pretty neat, but I was also just like a a jack of all trades. I had a bunch of hobbies. I liked rafting. I liked kayaking and I was really into horses and just kind of into everything. And, uh, and rock climbing was just this thing to add to all the things I was doing. I was all about doing everything all the time Yep. and get good at everything all the time. And, uh, rock climbing was just something in that arsenal of things to go do. And I don't think I really buckled down on rock climbing until a couple of years into it. And so then obviously that obsession changed a little bit and has evolved now that I know you're back in school, where does rock climbing fit into like where you're at in, in your world and, and what you want to do right now? I mean, it's, it's pretty much all I think about. <laughs> so, and I, I, with a marketing degree, I do want to work in the outdoor industry. So it's just kind of uh, hopefully a nice segue into working for a, a nice outdoor brand um, later on. I just, uh, you know, guiding, I want, I want health insurance. I want retirement. Um, you know, I, I think, I think guiding is a great job and for some it can be a career. Um, but I, I don't really see its merit as a career in the United States. So heavily dependent on your physical body. If you sprain an ankle, you could miss out on months of work. Right. Right. I see a lot of people get into guiding and I kind of just like, yeah, but what about your retirement? What about health insurance? (laughs) um it's definitely i i fell for it i yeah (laughs) you're the most responsible of all the climbers though (laughs) (laughs) i don't know i feel like maybe i'm more practical sometimes because i come from a very poor family that has had a shit ton of bad luck and uh people always getting hurt people being sick yeah you know houses fucking burning down you know so it's just like i'm very aware of how Quickly, things can go bad. And, you know, a lot of times any I, that even goes into my climbing. Like, I don't like bold climbing. I do not enjoy bold climbing. I get kind of teased about it sometimes. And I'm like, yeah, but who's going to wipe my ass for four months when I have to get some sort of surgery? Yeah. Who's going to wipe my ass? I got my hip replaced. I had to wipe my ass. But oh, wow. Yeah, I, I'm, not, I'm made of broken parts. So... So I completely understand. Yeah. So how, so then how far into when you started climbing, did you start guiding? Um, when I started climbing, I had, and I really fell in love with it and started taking it, uh, and and it just like took over my brain like climbing does. I'm really glad that I had hobbies and interests before climbing. (laughs) I think that I would be pretty one dimensional if I had found rock climbing 
and fell in love with it in the past. Right. I started guiding probably about four or five years ago. Okay. I'd never intended to guide when I, I started to really love rock climbing. You were working in climbing for a while when you met Sadie. Yeah. Or uh, Mercedes Carlson. Yeah. And everybody knows her as Mercindy Climberson. Mm-hmm. Or the real Slim Sadie. Uh, or the real Slim Sadie. Yeah. Yep. So you guys became friends pretty quickly, I guess, after you started climbing. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. you kind of seemed to be inseparable for a while because she lived in your driveway. You guys started climbing together all the time. Great relationship. And you guys started teaching crack camps together. And that's when I, I met you guys. But uh, yeah. over the last year, it seems like she's kind of pulled away a bit from the or maybe last two years from the the camps and the clinics. And I was just wondering how that had affected you as she kind of pulled back. I had been rock climbing and, and teaching and doing photo stuff for a long time before I met Sadie. Um, the wonderful thing about Sadie, and this is I got so friggin' stoked, was there's just not a whole lot of women um, in Moab my age who were interested in what I was interested in. When I met Sadie and she was stoked, it was off to the races, you know, it was awesome. It was so much fun meeting somebody similar to my age and who wanted to go rock climbing. And yeah. Sadie's freaking hilarious. So, you know, she's also like a really good time to hang out with. And, you know, she's super talented. And so we grew a lot together as a team. I became much better at photography and climbing with someone so similar to myself. It really pushed my climbing. And uh, it, it was just it was just awesome. And we did some crack camps and crack camps. I get the most value, I think, out of those than anything. You just meet so many people. Um, and you you just get to share the stoke. And, like, you keep talking to people like you, like you, you know? <laughs> it's like, I'd love to go climbing again with, like, most of the people I've met in crack camps. Those are really special to me. But Sadie is her own person, you know? She wanted to do other things. I had a bunch of hobbies before I came to rock climbing, <laughs> I had a shit ton of hobbies. So for me, I, you know, whittled it down to what I was truly passionate about. I'm like, okay, instead of just being a jack of all trades and being like, meh at everything, I'm going to just get really good at rock yeah. climbing. I want to just rock climb and take photos and paint. And, um, you know, if I go home, I'll ride some horses. But actually, that's kind of terrifying now. They move really fast. <laughs> <laughs> riding a horse is not like riding a bike it is but it's also like fuck these things are fast <laughs> yeah. for Sadie you know she didn't really have a lot of hobbies when she found climbing and then so she got like super hyper focused and this is kind of we, we talked about this she got super hyper focused and you know how rock climbing just takes over everything in your life well it took over everything in her life and uh yeah she was working in rock climbing she was rock climbing she was you know her artistic stuff was in rock climbing and she's younger than me and so she hadn't really like i guess found herself you know you're that what you do in your 20s and so at a certain point it just you know started way pretty heavy on her from my understanding and uh, it caused her to be a bit unstoked and you know we talked about it and uh, she just didn't want to teach rock climbing anymore you know she thought that maybe like working in rock climbing was affecting it and then you know it was maybe the rock climbing itself and the, and the projecting was a little bit too much just wanted to go climbing for fun 
and not do those horrible, heinous things all the time. <laughs> um, and, and then she just wanted a break from it because she, um, she started going into like more nude photography and uh, she got pretty bullied by the climbing community and lost a lot of soap for climbing and the climbing community itself. And so she's just taken a, a very firm break. But um, I did take her out um, in Moab this fall to Dead Man's Buttress, and we uh, we climbed some, some offwits, and it was like she hadn't taken a break at all. She's super, super talented still. And uh, she said she was going to get back into it a little bit. So I think, I think it's good to take a break when you're unstoked on something and then come back. I think that's healthy. I do too. That's very healthy. So I think climbers think that climbers are great, super nice people. And a lot of us are, <laughs> <laughs> but there's definitely some, some good and bad folks and some that are, are dirt bags, not in the sense of the climber dirt bag, but in, in a true sense of, you know, outside of the climbing community dirt bag. You know, you said that uh, some people were mean to Sadie because you're so out there on Instagram. Do you deal with a lot of jerks and misogyny and people sending you bullshit? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's a good time. <laughs> Is it? Do you engage? Uh, no, I don't give a shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just think it's funny. <laughs> I don't know, but I'm like, I, I'm very much a different personality than I think a lot of people. Um, I'm definitely like spiteful and I come from South and, uh, and you know, I kind of have like a, a hard background. So to me, some small ego sending me hate or vitriol over the web is like the most laughable thing. What the fuck do I care? I don't. I don't. <laughs> um, it honestly just fuels my fire because I'm spiteful. If you tell me not to do something, I'm going to do it. Yeah. It's always good to have a little bit of a chip on your shoulder, you know? <laughs> yeah. I think some of my hardest climbing has come from, uh, from being told I couldn't do it. So it's like, oh, thanks. Thanks for directly making that happen for me. <laughs> yeah. I, Crystal has to not tell me that I can't do something now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> She's learned because she knows that if, as soon as she says, no, we need to go, it's like, no, I'm going to go do that one and I'm doing it right now. <laughs> and then she gets to blame me for the next hour while I... Yes. Fall up the wall. So you are you are very similar to me. Just a spiteful whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Currently sober. Um, but I, I I think I pushed it off for so long just out of spite. Like I uh it took me so long to just uh, be like, Well fuck you. No, I can I can handle this. I feel like I feel like my diet is just completely out of spite. Oh you yeah. Know, I I eat garbage. You're still and eating it's just garbage? like I'm a I'm going to rock climb hard and eat garbage because all my well-meaning friends, they like tisk tisk at me, you know, and I'm like, whatever. I'm doing it. <laughs> I'm doing it. I don't need vegetables. I'm going to eat this can of Beanie Weenies and drink a Dr. Pepper and climb it off with. <laughs> Screw you. It doesn't matter if I want to puke. I'm not going to tell you about it. <laughs> Speaking of dedicating and doing stuff, I... I'd seen that you were recently working on Necronomicon. Oh yeah, and that's beautiful. 
That's that's 513D, 514A in that. Yes. So the grade is like a bit weird from what I've been told because uh, they were, the first instance was afraid that it would get downgraded by a lady with small hands uh, if he called it 14A. Mm-hmm. So he put 13D, 14A. Well, I have small hands. It's fucking 14A. i'm not gonna fucking downgrade it it's hard and the section that's thin is very short there's plenty of sections that are like really baggy fists and you know i'm placing a couple fours there's a section of threes just because you have smallish hands doesn't mean it's it's easier well i mean my thought with climbing is anytime that there's something small where that part is hard for one person there's something big for the person with something with small hands would equally say, no, this part is way fucking harder because I have small hands, but that's just, that's just my logic. Um, but you know, teach their own. There, there is a section on it after the crux that I just can't free because my arms are too short. It's a pod and my arms, I have, I'm so small. I'm five foot zero and I have zero appendix. You're smallish. Yeah, I'm very small. <laughs> and so going back to the back of the pod, I, can, I can't really reach. And the pod is pushing you out because it narrows down. Um, and so whenever I get into this, this, I call it the fuck you pod, I basically have a giant hissy fit in there and make a bunch of growling, angry noises. And <sighs> the last time I lost some hair, you know, it's all good. <laughs> yeah, it's just basically you can't really see me. I'm just inside of this pod cursing really loud in this roof in the white rim. So, you know. And so that first ascent was by Jean-Pierre Ouellette. And then it was repeated by your friends, Tom Randall and Pete Whitaker. And has anybody repeated it since? No. No. Are you planning to go back to that project in the spring? Oh, yes. So you're pretty close on it, right? Yeah, I'm pretty close on it. Honestly, the going back in the spring might not be a thing. It gets closed for lambing. So baby big horns. Oh. And it's so sensitive down there. I think I got to work on it in three sessions this fall. And one of the days I walked up, there was a herd of big horn right under it. So it is legitimately like a delicate area. Mm. I think the earliest that I can ethically go back to it would be August 1st. Right. Unless, and, and I've been talking to uh, the park service, unless, you know, they give me like the green light to go down there, but it just requires like an open dialogue with them and you know, they have to basically look and see, and et cetera, et cetera. Right. I'm one way or another. <laughs> well, that's very yeah. cool and exciting. We look forward to seeing you finish that because I'm sure you will. So with working with those guys, are you working with Lattice Training directly? Yeah, I'm training with Lattice Training and it's good shit, honestly. Yeah, I think it's made a huge difference in my climbing. Yeah, I just get the freebies like the, the podcasts and the YouTube videos, but... Instagram. I'm not in the full, <laughs> the full on program. It's very hard, but, but worth And so then Necronomicon is obviously on your, uh, your hit list. Are there any other dreams and hopes for the future? How long are you going to be in school? Two years. Um, I want there's a lot that I want to do and I almost fear verbalizing them just in case Completely um, understand. it doesn't happen, but I, I'd like to do, I want to do more in the white room, honestly. Um, it just, <sighs> It's special down there, honestly. And uh, it, it's so far away from the crowds and it's just it's so beautiful. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Really secluded. Yeah. Well, very cool. Is there anything else that I didn't ask you about that you would like to discuss before we say farewell? Um, 
you don't have any profound statements on being a climber, being a female climber, being a overall badass in the world, advice for the world. Uh, I, I don't, I don't know. I think, I think, uh, my advice to people all the time is pretty simple. I just tell people to follow their stoke, you know, do what makes you happy and change is hard and that's totally okay. A good thing that I plan to do this show for years because we did not talk about your photography or your art. We talked about goats though, but uh, yeah, we didn't even get into your painting and your, your photography, which is all really amazing. Um, but I think you're a, a force of nature, inspiration for everybody. And uh, you are, are super gangster. Thank you, Marcus. I think you were inspiring after how much I watched you bleed and you just kept going after it. <laughs> well, hopefully the pandemic will end and uh, you, Tyler, and I can go climb somewhere and you guys can watch me just um, fillet my skin off. Uh, if, if nothing else, we can laugh together. Yes, I would dearly love. Tyler would love that, too. Well, I really <laughs> appreciate your time and I hope we get to connect again in the future. It's good talking to you. All right. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye. See ya. How you like me now? Yeah. Mama, mama, no. Is that the duck? That was from uh, Storks? Yep. Okay. I mean, that song is obviously older than that, but that was, I was doing the version from Storks. Right. Mama, 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 All right, cool. Um. So, hey, Crystal, how are you doing today? I'm I'm good. I, I, I really am. You really are? I really am. Yeah, I'm good. You really am or you really are? I am a singular person. So I believe that would be I am I am good. So you are good. I am real confused. I'm Am I causing you any tension? Not any more than average. Okay. Have you thought about a name for this segment? Buckets. Part history lesson, part house cleaning, part fact check. You don't like postmortem. No, 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 no. <laughs> you don't like debrief. I wasn't excited about debrief. Third act, like uh, the third act of a play. It's the resolution. Yeah, yeah. I understand where you're coming from. It was kind of lame. I just liked the wrap up. The wrap up. Okay. What about? What about if we did something better than that, Crystal? What about if we didn't do that? Right. Um, what about if we did like a commercial? worksite like a post-incident report why do all of them have to feel so dark lessons learned i i don't hate that i i guess if the band members we're calling them band members the people that listen to the show <laughs> right right they don't know it yet but that's what you're called okay. unless you guys think of something better uh, and then you better. can tell me and we'll change it I hate this i hate that i'm about to say this if we made a play on getting the band back together that's what i did that's what oh is that what you just did well, if you go to the website. Okay. And you, <laughs> I swear I have been on your website. Yeah. I so promise if, you. If you go to the website and subscribe. Right, right. To get your email updates. It says we're getting the band back together. Okay. From the Blues Brothers. Yeah. It's Elwood Blues. No. Nope. Nope. It's Jake Blues for sure. Was it Jake that was getting them all together? And anyway, Jake Blues is getting the band back together. He's, there were dancing alligators in that movie, was there? 
No. Not? No? I just made that part up? I think so, yeah. yeah. Because they went to the bayou, and there was dan- definitely dancing skeletons. Did I just make up all of this? Did I just put like a fantasy shift on that entire series of movies? Well, there weren't a lot of movies, but maybe you watched that one that came out, the late one. Okay. Like Blues Brothers 2000 or Yeah, something. I had a little kid and he was a really great little dancer. Yeah, I didn't see that. Why? It was, I, I understand like coming from your purist standpoint, it wasn't as cool. But the little kid, he was such a good little dancer. Oh. He was a cutie patootie. You know, with John Belushi mm-hmm. having passed away, I just, it didn't it lost appeal its to luster me. for you. But also, it's possible that I saw it and was drunk or on drugs. That is also very possible. Yeah. It may be worth going back and revisiting. It may have been terrible. I did not have good taste in movies growing up. I did actually watch Dude, Where's My Car? That's a thing I did. I saw the first scene. That was probably enough. So her niece had a male had a male seizure. Right. There are four types of seizures. The two most common types are absent seizures and grand mal seizures. And absent seizures are the type of seizure where like somebody kind of pauses and then like maybe blinks. Like, you know the the female lizard in um Rango? Um no no. No. Okay. Well so there's a female character in Rango. She's a lizard. How about instead of this walk, we just okay. keep learning about seizures. Sounds good. So different than it's lizard people, but not like David Icke lizard people. Okay. So there's absent seizures. That was the blinkies. And the other type was grand mal seizures, which are probably what you think of when you think of seizure. It's like a convulsive thing. And they usually come in two parts, which the the convulsions are followed by unconsciousness. And so now they're called tonic clonic seizures for these two phases of the seizure. And Interesting. yeah, they're not called grandma seizures anymore. Okay. I don't know if you remember this, but when we were a kid, they would tell you put a wallet or a wooden spoon in somebody's. Yeah. When you were talking mouth. about grandma seizures, I immediately went to throw a stick in that person's mouth. Right. Because. That, so they don't chew off their tongue. Swallow their tongue. Oh, I thought it was chew off. Yeah. Guess what? It's yes, all bullshit. <laughs> really? Yeah. Don't do that because it can actually like damage their gums and stuff because they're, they can't swallow their own tongues or they don't swallow their own tongues. But so. what about the biting off their tongues? It's just not a thing. It's a Interesting. myth. Okay. Good to know. Thank you for that. Mm-hmm. What about a regular, mal, like just the mall seizure, which her niece had had? That, well, that's a grand mal seizure. Oh, they are the same thing. Yep. Oh, she okay. called it. A, so there's petite mall, which okay. is that they've changed to absent. Absent. Okay. It's another one of those words for a person with a lisp. It's starting to give me an anxiety attack saying absent seizures. Um, but then grandma is the convulsive style, but that's okay. what her, her niece had where she was unconscious. Okay. And um, she had had that after she had become blind, correct? She had had the seizure when she was younger. So epilepsy actually led to her going blind in early childhood. Sounds like it. Okay. All right. And then she had another seizure on the way to. Yeah. She said she just had them sometimes because she had epilepsy. That makes sense. All right. So next thing, do we need a permit for a goat in Denver? And turns out that surprisingly, no. Oh, this is great news. We can have up to two goats and three dogs without a permit. Wait, there is a limit on the number of dogs you can have in Denver? 
without a permit. Really? Yeah. I feel like this would cause problems for so many people. Yeah. I think you can only have a combination of five animals. I don't know if goats are included in this combination, but like with dogs and cats, you can only have five. Really? Yeah. Okay. So this is updating my whole life. Does that mean that instead of making the barn in the backyard into a she shed, that we're going to make it into a goat house? So she said her parents' insurance would have been crazy high with a wood-burning stove. So the United States Fire Administration estimates 4,000 fires a year are started by wood-burning stoves. And I did see some conflicting information on how expensive the insurance was. Basically, it's, it's the same increase if you have a wood fire stove or if you have a pellet stove in your house that heats your house. Basically, you have to either get somebody to come and give an inspection of the house, but if you have not gotten it professionally installed, then they're probably going to not approve it anyway. So yes, it's probably really expensive for that insurance. Um, but I wasn't able to find that exactly. When she started talking about not having insurance and her parents just kind of, all right, now, like, what do we do? Well, we just make this shed into our our tiny home. I immediately jumped in my mind to my dad started his combine on fire. Yeah. In the, it was early in the fall. It was in October and he Lit it on fire. Again, we live also in the middle of nowhere, so it probably took a solid 30 minutes for any fire trucks to get there, what have you. So he just watches a, you know, $80,000 piece of equip- farm equipment just go up in flames. But yeah, your dad did, and then and it was not insured no. either. And so in, in typical rule, wherever, they just look at that loss and go, well, I guess that's a thing I don't have anymore. And I think he had a new combine up in the field within the hour because they have a weird stockpile of Frankenstein farm equipment on their farm. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. I also found that U.S. fire departments responded to an estimated average of 172,900 home structure fires per year started by cooking activities between 2014 and 2018. So, But that's different than starting your... House on fire with a pellet stove, right? Yeah, but if there's 172,900 fires a year that are cooking related mm-hmm. and you have 4,000 that are wood fire related, does it seem weird that you need this extreme insurance for a wood fire? I mean, maybe there's more likelihood, but that's still only 4,000 of what seems to be. Maybe because the heating system goes throughout your your entire house where a cooking fire is generally contained to the kitchen. And usually if you're starting a cooking fire, you're in the kitchen with said fire and maybe have made like actions towards containing it yourself. But also it does speak to just a jacked up industry in general. You know, (laughs) you, uh, you, you won, you won one for the man. Oh, okay. Okay. Go capitalism. I'm always trying to fight the good fight. You know me. So not related to wood stoves. Or combines? Or combines, but cooking fires. Okay. They are responsible for an average of 550 deaths per year. Dear God. And that's just civilian deaths, so not including firefighters and stuff. Oh, I thought you were going to go pets from there. Like goats. (sighs) Goats. You know, 
Oh my God. I did. You think the goat was going to die? I did think that the goat was going to die. Especially like the last, she had some kind of breath. It was something where she said that she closed the front door. Yep. And then I pictured the whole family just wiping their hands and being, okay, we solved the problem. I thought it was just going to be, they just closed the door and like just watched them and cried. And Oh, uh, okay. You went really dark. Yeah. Well, I mean, if the goat went in the house and the mom loved the goat, it was, it, yeah. But I was, I really was relieved. I had this like weight off my chest when she was like, and yeah, and the, no, the goat made it. Okay. I mean, it was terrible. The fire burnt. It was terrible. Of course. On Christmas morning. Yeah. I mean, that's. They sound like a very resilient family. They are very resilient people. More than $1 billion in property damage per year from cooking fires and 5,000 injuries. Okay. That, that tracks. But 550 deaths, that's over 10% of the Oh my God. I so wonder if those numbers go up drastically in 2020 because people are being introduced to their kitchens for the first time. Were you a pyro when you were a kid? Absolutely not. I was afraid of even striking a match until I was almost 30. The reason I have to spend so much time practicing building campfires is because I was terrified of fires when I was a child. Terrified. I was not. Of course not. And I lit a lot of stuff on fire. And I will tell you that the first time I saw a Toy Story, I felt super guilty because, I, you know, you hate Sid. Sid's the right. one yeah. next door that destroyed. I, I lit a lot of G.I. Joe's on fire. <laughs> I would make gasoline paths through the yard. so what that is the Okay. Every time you go on a deep dive about your childhood, I wonder what... In God's name, your parents were doing. My my dad was not in the country and my mom was at work. Oh my God. I was a latchkey kid. I loved Backdraft though. Oh my God. Did you love Backdraft when you were a kid? I never watched it. I told you I watched Days of Thunder and Flashdance. That was it. I wanted to be a fireman multiple times in my life. And the Dark Crystal. I didn't want to be the Dark Crystal. (laughs) Okay. Moving on. So I want to tell all the non-climbing band members a little bit about climbing. First off, the Oxford definition of a dirtbag is a very unkempt or unpleasant person. Now, a dirtbag climber is basically a person who gives their entire life to climbing, often lives in tents or vehicles, and will do what they can to stay afloat so that they can just keep climbing all the time. But the thing that I thought was funny, the Urban Dictionary does have dirtbag in there. It's Mm -hmm. not specific to climbing, but it falls in line with the type of dirtbag that I was talking about. And it says is a person who is committed to a given, usually extreme lifestyle to the point of abandoning employment and other societal norms in order to pursue said lifestyle. Dirtbags can be distinguished from hippies by the fact that dirtbags have a specific reason for their living communally and generally non-hygienically. Dirtbags are seeking to spend all of their moments pursuing their lifestyle. That's pretty accurate. Yeah, I would say because it definitely opens the definition up to other activities. Right. Like I, I have a lot of dirtbag uh, raft guide friends. Yeah. yeah. And um, there's a lot of dirtbag skier snowboarders. Yeah. I mean, and if you go to small islands and stuff, there's there's a lot of dirtbag divers. Probably, yeah. 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 I used to be one. Mountain bikers, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of different dirtbags, but. The only one that I really fell into, I I spent some time as a dirtbag diver, I would say. 
I lived in my car for a summer as a dirt bag raft guide. That's true. I did. Me and my dog. Now we're moving on to the different types of climbing. There's sport climbing, traditional climbing, which is traditionally referred to as trad. So trad climbing and sport climbing. So Mary is known for trad climbing. Trad climbing, hence trad princess. There's also bouldering. There is. There's alpinist or alpine climbing, I'm sorry. Mountaineering, ice climbing. There is ice climbing. Sport climbing, trad climbing. So in trad climbing, you place removable gear, which you attach your rope. Sport climbing has bolts that are pre-bolted into the rock, and then you have quick draws, which you attach the bolts and connect your rope. Bouldering is on smaller rocks without any rope. Now, in trad... Oh, pads. Pads, there's, yes. Yeah, there's... Um, pads, yes. mattressy like things that we throw on the ground. Right. And then in, in trad climbing, there's also some different varieties of climbing. One is crack climbing, which you basically follow the fissure of a crack up and or across the rock. And then what Mary is also known for, and she said she just gave an off-width crack clinic. Off-width climbing is crack climbing that is too big for fingers and fists, but not big enough that you can put your entire body in like a chimney. Eat shit and bleed climbing. It's just about pain and sadism and masochism. I mean, there's, it's not sexually related, but it could be. Now, what you were getting to that is confusing for non-climbers and sometimes for climbers is the difference between free climbing and free soloing. And free climbing is what people are typically talking about when they say that someone freed a route. Um, so this meant that they didn't use any aid to pull on or their, or taking on the rope, which means like hanging on the rope. So to free a route, you have to do it clean and free without um, aiding, but you can be, you are attached to a rope. So free climbing can be either sport or trad, but then free soloing, which people get confused when you tell people you free climb. That's why I don't use that word. But free soloing is what Alex Honnold did in the movie Free Solo. So that's what most of America knows now. And uh, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's pretty atypical. But then if you saw Don Wall with Tommy Caldwell and Kevin Jorgensen, um, they freed the Don Wall and El Cap, but they did that with ropes. That was also free climbing. Okay. Recently, Emily Harrington freed the Golden Gate on El Cap. And it was widely misreported that, that she was the first woman to free El Cap. Did you not notice that? Oh, it went out like across a ton. I didn't notice Oh, that. yeah, yeah. It went out across a ton of platforms that she was the first woman to ever free El Cap. She's the first woman to ever free the Golden Gate route on El right, Cap. Right, right. But obviously, Lynn Hill. I was going to say, isn't the nose on El Cap? I it, guess I don't really know this, the rock structures down there or yeah. rock routes down there. Yeah. But yeah, she's got her old, you know, that, that quote. It goes, she, boys. It, it goes, boys. <laughs> Um, yeah, so Lynn Hill was not only the first person to free yes, the nose. That's right. She was the first female to free the nose or first, you know, anybody. And then she was also the first female to um, free El Cap. So it went out like one news source that was pretty misreported it. And then it went out like everywhere. And it was, I mean, I saw it. I kept seeing it come up on my phone. I'm like, no, it's not. That doesn't make sense. I'm <laughs> pretty sure this happened back in the, like, what, 80s or 90s when Lynn Hill did. 
great that I want to, I want to discuss Necronomicon. So I want to tell that those climbers at this point are like, oh, we're, we're out. Um, but there's multiple grading systems. One is the Yosemite decimal system, the YDS. And that's what's commonly used in America. And it's usually just called the Yosemite. And the grades go from five, one up to five fifteen, and five, one to five, four is pretty much a scramble on rocks. It's different levels of scrambling up to five, four. And then the scale from there goes up to five, nine for easier climbs. And then when you get to five, 10, you add the letters a through D to the end for ascending hardness. And then this is repeated up to the current hardest climb in the world, which is rated at 15 D. So it'd be like 15 A, 15 B, 15 C, 15 D. It's the imperial measurement system of climbing because Americans can't have concise, nice things. Well, you know, there's like also a UK and an Australian um, grading system, which is like almost not used at all, even by the UK. The Australian? Or the UK one. So there's a French. That was what I was getting to next. So 15 D on the French is Mm -hmm. 9 C. And so... But I'll get to that. So that's the French system. That's the French system. Okay. Because when I was in Thailand, that's what they used yeah, in Thailand. Not, yeah. Yeah. Most of Europe, Spain, like a lot of, yeah, yeah it's, most of it's on the French system. So the hardest climb in the world is named Silence and is located at Flatanger in Norway. It was climbed by Adam Andra in 2017. Hasn't been repeated. Okay. So the French rating system goes from one to nine and I obviously don't know enough about it to talk in depth, so I'm just going to say enough to uh, to make sure that those that have a better an- understanding are angry at me. So um, some numbers have pluses and minuses, not all of them. I'm not going to go into that much detail, but from six to nine, there is an A through C, which ascends in level of hardness like the Yosemite system. 515D is the top of the scale, 9C is the top of the scale, and that's just because that's how hard things got. The grade not that long ago, the system only went to like 15A, and then they added 15B and they've added 15C. So that's sport climbing as far as the hardest routes in the world, but trad climbing, hardest grade to date for trad climbing is probably 14D. They're saying that one person did one that they're saying is probably 14D. Only seven women in history have climbed 514 trad routes. Are Um, you going to list them? Would you like me to? If I know any of the names on there. Yeah, you know almost all of them. Lynn Hill, Beth Rodden, Zangirl, Heather Widener, Maddie Cope, Nadine Walner, and then the most recent one was Molly Mitchell in 2019, I think. Where is this uh, necro... Nomicon. It's on the White Rim. Out of Where Moab. is that? Oh, oh, it's in Moab? Yeah. Where at? The White Rim is a 71.2 mile long unpaved four-wheel drive road that traverses the top of the White Rim sandstone formation below the island in the sky mesa of Canyonlands National Park in southern Utah. You want to hear something really funny? No, I've backpacked on it. Yeah, that one I did out in May for my bachelorette party. <laughs> Yeah, that's what I was just thinking. Now that I now that all of this is coming together, as soon as I said below, we were on the white rim. I, as soon as I said below the island in the sky, I was yep, like, "Isn't that yep. the one you backpacked?" It sure was. I have totally been there. So five fourteen. 
seven women in the world have ever done it. Yeah. This is one of the things I really found fascinating about Mary is that there's something about Mary. There is a lot about (laughs) Mary that I found interesting. One of them is that she considered herself and she definitely fit the bill of this jack of all trades or Jill of all trades, however you want to say it. You do think of climbers uh, at, at her level of the game as very singularly focused, very driven from the time that you look at your sausage. I can never say her name. Oh my God. Sasha DeJulian. Thank you. Why is the person with the lisp correcting my Sasha DeJulian? Did I say it wrong again? No, that, I think you got okay, it right. Okay. So um, she has been at the height of her sports and she was, I don't know, what, six? Um, you look at your Beth Radden who, you know, she talks about in her early life, you know, being 14, being the only girl at the climbing gym, really like really honing in on that sport very, very early all the way through high school. And here Mary just like falls across the sport, you know, midway through, I I guess I didn't catch how old she was, but after high school, at some point she comes, you know, moves to Moab. She's in her twenties. Hey, cool. I want to climb that rock and ends up getting into it. But she does describe herself as this jack of all trades who kind of never really felt good at any one thing. And that's how I feel. I think that's how a lot of us feel. Um, But I found it really inspiring that she was able to really put her mind to something and be very singularly focused and get to the level that she's at with other interests and coming into it after, you know, she was 14 years old and being able to make climbing such a single focus, like such a drive, such a passion of hers after the age where she's susceptible to a lot of the pressure of your parents and the pressure of like, I got to be great. So she got to come into it after, you know, her twenties when she's already developed as a human and pretty solid about who she is as a person and pretty solid about what she wants to do and rise to this level. It's nice to know that you can find a sport after you're 12 and excel at it. You don't have to be the, the soccer queen at eight years old that is on a track from that point, you can find a passion and really, really do great. So Necronomicon was rated 514A and 513D. And there's some discrepancy involved in this grading decision, uh, hands and fist things, but there are only three people in the world that have ever done that route. So let uh, was the first guy. The other two that did it were Tom Randall and, and uh, Pete Whitaker. And, they have also climbed two of the hardest routes in the world at 514B. Trad routes. Yeah. But then also that led to lattice training, and that's uh, Tom Randall's training company. And he puts out a bunch of stuff on Instagram and YouTube, and I watch it all. It's pretty interesting because he's funny. Are they from England? Yes. So funny and have a British accent. Yep. Which makes everything better. Yes, it does. I don't care whether it's... 13D or 14A, it's really hard. And I and I'm so surprised that Black Diamond does not sponsor because she uses those huge cams. You know, she's one of few people and she's so well known. Black Diamond, where you at? (laughs) So she would be the first female ascent of that route if she completed it. And And she she said said, FA, that's 
for first ascent. You know, she talked about Sadie and, you know, people in the climbing community and people being hard on her. And I was like, is that considered cyberbullying? Because cyberbullying is kind of, you know, usually attached to like children. No, I don't think that cyberbullying at all is well age restricted. I don't, I don't either. But so I looked it up and cyberbullying is bullying that takes place over digital devices like mm-hmm. cell phones, computers, tablets can, can occur through SMS, texts and apps or online and social media forums, gaming, blah, 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 blah. But what I thought was weird was that uh, all the laws around cyberbullying mm-hmm. are related to children. Interesting. Like unless somebody is doing something where they're threatening your life, a death threat or something, there there was multiple laws, but they're all related to schools. That almost seems like most laws in general, unless your life is threatened, no one's going to come help you. Yeah, I guess that's true. It's kind of sad. It really is. Yeah, it sounds like, it seems to me that she has been, or friends of hers, people in her like really close network have been, subject a lot of a lot of cyberbullying. Well, we just recently after the interview was over and I actually meant to reach out to Mary to ask her about this before we did the like fact check or whatever. Right. But there was a thing where somebody that was a fairly notable climber, I believe, had either made some real nasty comments to her, a friend of hers and some hom- homophobic slurs. Yeah, it seemed like what had happened or that particular exchange had happened a few years back. Okay. And it was just pointing to a pattern of behavior. And yeah, Mary talked extensively about it on her Instagram page. And the person that was being called out also, uh, she came out on her Instagram page and, and uh, addressed it. Uh, I don't, yeah, I, I don't know these people personally, so I, I don't know how to speak to that. It was really horrific what was written. It was it's pretty awful. So Tyler. Yes. We're going to just, Tyler was her best friend in high school. Uh-huh. Was her boyfriend. Okay. Who later came out. Okay. And now they're like best friends. So and roommates, her, right? No. No. Okay. No. So her first like crush or whatever, she was her first like real serious boyfriend. Yeah. Is her best friend now. And he just got married to Anaki. So that's all I have for Mary. Since we are doing a fact check, I thought it was important for me to point out that it wasn't that I said one of the reasons why I chose to marry you is because I knew that I had a longer shelf life than you. I just said it was one thing that I had taken into consideration. Oh, I didn't say it was one you said, said it was the reason I married you. The reason. And I and I as soon as I had said it, I, I knew that I had misspoke a little bit, but I didn't feel like going back. To be clear, it was just one of the considerations that I had to think about when I married you, because you are in fact made of broken parts and I have many, many years on you. I'm gaining them all back. Yeah, actually, since your sobriety, I would say that you have slowly gained a few back. I'm gonna have robot arms. I I'm gonna maybe. I'm going to have robot hips. I'm going to have a robot penis. Oh, dear. No, 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 no. It's all robots. You can get a robot wife. (laughs) And that's okay. (laughs) All right. Thank you, everybody. And if you are hoping for a musical guest, uh, please listen next week. Uh, It's going to be pretty.
be good. And just remember, we're all in this together, kid.